Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our first podcast of 2019. It's Come On, Son, the podcast, and this is going to be a lot different this year, man. First of all, all glory goes to God, because without God, nothing is possible. And with God, all things are possible. Of course, y'all know this is being overseen by the late, great combat Jack, the man who put me on the podcast in, in the beginning of it. A lot of things going on in my mind as we enter 2019, but I'm glad to be back behind the microphone. I took some time off, gave me a chance to regroup, gave me a chance to refocus during the holidays. Hope everybody's holiday was solid. Hope everybody's holiday was wonderful. And I hope Everybody got whatever they wanted, and I hope you all remembered that Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus Christ and not about gift-giving or gift-receiving. And sometimes we all get, including myself, uh, a little confused, and things start becoming convoluted when it comes down to Christmas. So we also always have to put our faith back in God and our and our hearts and souls back into the true meaning of Christmas. So I just wanted to share that with you. Um, tough day for me today. Um, found out that I lost a dear, dear friend of mine. I don't even really know how I'm able to do this podcast, but sometimes when I'm feeling a certain way, um, I'm able to express myself a lot better from sorrow. For me comes strength. And sometimes I get to just get behind the mic and just say what's on my heart and it and it kind of it kind of pushes me in a strange way when I go through some kind of tragedy to be able to speak a little more clearly. And um, I got a DM in my uh, Instagram today because that's the way people contact you, right? It's a little crazy, but I don't think this young lady had my uh, direct phone number. And she said, "Hey Ed, um, I know that you were a friend of my auntie Shonda Smith." Um, you probably heard already, but on January 2nd, she died in a house fire, and I hadn't heard about it. And Shonda Pooh Smith, as I knew her, was a really dear friend of mine since she was in college at Ramapo in New York. And um, we stayed friends for a long time, you know, throughout her pregnancy, and, and she had a son. And uh, whenever I lost track of Pooh, Pooh never lost track of me. Um, she always called. She always said Merry Christmas. She always said Happy New Year. We always got to chat, especially during football season. 
because Shonda Pooh Smith was a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Like, I have one friend other than her that loves the Steelers as much as she do, and he's a male. And um, that's my man Truth out there. You know who you are, brother. And this brother is Steelers, 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 Steelers. And Pooh was Steelers, 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 Steelers. Like, she had Steelers sneakers, hats, goggles. She had a Steelers crockpot. That's how much of a diehard Steeler fan she was. She would drive from Rahway, New Jersey to Pittsburgh for home games. I mean, this woman loved the Steelers, and she died tragically on January 2nd in a house fire in Rahway, New Jersey. And if you go to the GoFundMe for Shonda Smith, you can find that because her, um, you know, please donate. Her mother lost her entire house. Her mom and her son got out. Um, and unfortunately, Pooh didn't get out. And it really, really broke my heart to hear that this fascinating, incredibly intelligent, college-educated, single mom, Winnie the Pooh fan, Pittsburgh Steelers super fan, and lover of all things beautiful, inspirational, witty, just an amazing all-around person, had died tragically at the age of only 44. And if you're a young person and you're listening to this podcast, and you're in your 20s, imagine if you knew you only had 20 more years left on the planet or even 25 more years left. How would you live your life differently? And I know for a fact that through my beliefs in God and the Holy Spirit and the Bible and heaven, that Shonda is definitely in heaven right now. And Shonda, we miss you. I'm going to miss you, Pooh, forever. I'm going to love you, Pooh, forever. Your family's going to love you forever, Pooh. And I will never, ever forget how much of a light that you were in my life. And I just want to say to you, rest in peace, my dear sister. Your work here on earth is done. We will make sure that your son and your mom can carry on and that your son is good. And um, you will forever be in our hearts and souls and our minds. So rest in peace, Pooh. And um, may God continue to bless your family. And may God continue to bless your soul. And I, and I know he is. I know he is. Today... On Come On Son, the podcast, I am honored and privileged to have a Grammy award-winning DJ and producer that's going to join me in the studio. He was born David Anthony Love in the Bronx. So it's pretty amazing to me how he came up with this name because his last name is actually Love. If everybody knows me, you know my real last name is Roberts, and I came up with Lover. But he's born in the Bronx, New York. He is known to be one of the greatest DJs that ever lived, as well as a producer. And we'll get into a lot of his producer credits um, as soon as he climbs behind this microphone and starts to speak. Um, he was one of the original mixtape kings. Um, he was known as a prime minister of mixtapes, and he saw mixtape profit potential very early in his career before a lot of people did. He turned a small business venture into a $2,000 a night underground empire. I mean, once everybody else caught on to the economic benefits of mixtapes, they soon followed in this man's footsteps and thus began the bandwagon of doing what he was already doing, being an entrepreneur. Um, for the nation, I would say his popularity was garnered later on but in New York City, where I'm from, there was no way in God's name on this green earth that if you had a box 
or a cassette deck in your car or a cassette in your house, in your stereo system, that you did not have one of this man's tapes, then you were just not in the know in New York City. If you didn't know who this man was, you just didn't know what was going on in New York City. But for the rest of the country, he became the first DJ to ever perform live on TV, and Russell Simmons' deaf comedy jam put him on the map with the rest of the company. He's toured with Diddy, LL Cool J, Busta Rhymes, Foxy Brown, Nas, Lil' Kim, Mace, Jay-Z, Usher, R. Kelly, who's in trouble right now, Mary J. Blige, Drew Hill, Genuine, and Aaliyah on shows like the 1998 Puff Daddy and the Family Tour. Y'all know who I'm talking about, man. And he recently tore down a 30-year anniversary concert at the Barclays in Brooklyn for Yom TV Raps. My good friend, I am honored and privileged to have a veteran who still works, 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 works. My favorite party DJ of all time, and not just a party DJ, one of the greatest guys to ever touch a pair of turntables, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kid Capri. Come on, son, son. Kid Capri, how are you, my friend? Doing great. Welcome, brother. Welcome. I am happy to have you. You are way more than what I think people give you credit for. Uh, first and foremost, I tell anybody who listens, you are my favorite DJ. It's Thank you, Ed. Hands down, nobody can turn a party out like Kate Capri. It, I, I don't care. I've seen people do it. I've seen people try to do it. Nobody, in my opinion, can turn a party out like you can, bro. You are the, you are the uh, what I call... The, the top-notch, upper-echelon DJ, and you've been doing it now for a long time. How long has it been? I've been, shit, since I was eight years old. Since you was eight? How did you start? How did Kid Capri start DJing? Bunch of DJs on my block on Kingsbridge Terrace in the Bronx. It was about 30, 31 DJs, all older. And when it started, there was a dude playing dice against the uh, against the wall, saying, yes, yes, y'all, to the beach, y'all, throwing the dice against the wall. He kept saying, I'm looking at him, saying, what do you mean, yes, yes, y'all, what are you saying? And then I went to a party that week into a, in a community center with a DJ B-Ward at Rockwell. I seen him picking these needles up, and it looked like he was just damn near talking to the needles to the record. And I stood there and watched him all night, didn't dance, ain't talk to no girls, ain't go to the bathroom. I just watched him and watched him. Ran home, told my mother wanted to be a DJ. She didn't have a lot of money, so she bought me a mixer that had no headphone holes, so I had to guess all the spots on the records. Oh, wow. And that's how I got better than everybody else in the, in the neighborhood. And in the neighborhood, there was a girl named Olga Carter that said, Kid Capri sound like a good name for a DJ. You should try it. And then I took the name, and two months later, she was killed by accident by a stray bullet. Oh, man. And that and it took me to where it took me to. Yeah, man. Because I, I, I wonder, I'm like, how did, because DJ whatever love would have been dope. Because love is Everybody your actual last name. And, and I took Lover, and my last name is Roberts, and I became Ed Lover. And I was always wondering, where did Kid Capri come from? That's where it came from. But people used to say that to me, that I should have named myself DJ uh, D. Love. But back in the day, you had to make up a name, like Grandmaster Flash. Right. You, you know, he wasn't Eric Sadler. You know, he was <laughs> Grandmaster right. Flash. You made up a name, and, you know, it was just more cooler that way. But now it would have worked if I would use my own name. Yeah. Kendrick Lamar, like he uses his real name. You right. Know? But DJ Kid Capri, there is no other Kid Capri. And when you say Kid Capri, everybody knows exactly 
who you are. So you went from DJing from when you were eight years old. Did you DJ all through high school and and yeah. all through everything? My whole life. I used to come from school, didn't even do homework, jump around on turntables, and that was my homework until I got to my homework. But that was my whole thing. And, and it was no, you got to remember, there was no money involved. There was nothing. We wasn't getting paid for this. It was just something that we just loved doing because it was something new. It was a hobby. It was more than a hobby for me, but it was something new. It was a lifestyle, and people didn't see it going as far as it did. Where I thought, you know, if I could make, if I could get people to pay attention, I could possibly make some money from this and, and do something. And fortunately enough, it worked that way for me in the years to come. But at first, it was just something that we were doing in the hood, like every other hood was doing. It was for the love of it. When did you When did you first play? Like, did you play in the park and block parties and all that stuff? Like Absolutely. That? I done went to everybody's block parties and battled them. I used to do all the block parties on my block, Kingsbridge Terrace. We used to be in the park. We used to be in a, the schoolyard across the street. We used to set up right on the block. We used to be out there when it rained. We didn't even care if it rained. We just wanted people to see us. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's what it was. It was just fun, man. It had a, had a lot of fun. Everybody was safe. Everybody enjoyed themselves. And, it, and, and it was, that's why I call my show on Sirius the Block Party. Right. Because of that. You know, it, it, thinking about all those things and how block, block parties go, you hear new and old together, you know, and it's, it's definitely something good for me. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic, man. So when you, as you developed as a DJ, who were some of the more well-known DJs that you looked up to? Uh, Jazzy Jeff, uh, DJ Scratch. Um, Scratch course, was already doing it? Well, Scratch was with EPMD. Well, no, you know what? If you talk about back then, no, I wasn't looking at Scratch. Now I was, I was looking at Scratch later. But in in that era, back then, I, it was Jazzy Jeff, of course, Grandmaster Flash, Theodore, uh, Charlie Chase, um, Pete DJ Jones, dudes like that. It was shout out to Pete DJ Jones, who don't, who don't get enough props for what Never. he was able to accomplish. Never. Yeah. Rest in peace to him too. Yeah, rest in peace to Pete DJ Jones. When did the mixtape? thing come about because you are one of the first mixtapes I ever heard in my mm-hmm. life. Well, there was, if you know the the history on DJ Hollywood from Harlem, right? It was Hollywood, Boosie B, Lovebug Starsky, and, and Starchild. They were making the mixtapes in the city and it would stay contained in the city. You know, if you came from out of town and you might have got one, cool, but it would stay in, it was just a New York thing. When I came in, I wanted to make it to where it was national, to where it was worldwide. It could touch other places. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, that's what happened. So what I would do is I would say things in a certain way, play certain kind of music, give certain kind of information, tell people how to live, how to dress, how to, you know, it was it was like I was dictating to people and they felt like they were right there when I was making the, song, the tape, when it was made in my hallway of my apartment, one, one bedroom apartment. I was making the joint right when you walk in the door and it sounded like you was in this big party. So that's what that's what captivated the people so much with the tapes. And then when me coming out with them consistent every two weeks, it just made it seem like it was a part of people's lifestyles. And then I had hit ones that came out, which, you know, gave me a chance for me to get my first album deal, first radio deal and stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah. So was it, but their mixtapes were kind of different than your mixtapes, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Because they used to do the mixtapes that would be that would be in the cabs and all of that, and then shout out the cab drivers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And a lot of their mixtapes, I think, were a lot different than the way you decided to do mixtapes. Yeah, the way I decided to do it was more of, well, Boosie B sound like he having a good Boosie B is one of my favorite DJs because it always looked like he having a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Always looked like he having a ball. Even on the tapes, you could hear it. But I think what the difference was with me was I think I brought a combination of different things on the tape. It wasn't just 
the music and me talking. It was it was a combination of a lot of stuff. And then a lot of the music I was playing, nobody was playing. I would bring back stuff that nobody, you know, and, and that was from when me and Starchild was working together in the SNS club. He showed me some things I learned that that kind of opened my, my mind a little bit more. And when like I got what? a chance, listening to certain music, certain music that I didn't think that would, that anybody would know, he would play, and this crowd over here would know it. And I would see that and take that or something like that and bring it to another crowd and they would know it. See, and, and that's what happens. Like, even with right now, a lot of DJs get caught in the box. They get caught in this one thing and they don't want to step out of this box. So next thing you know, you got four DJs on one party playing all the same music right. and everybody's standing around. You see what I'm saying? Because nobody steps out of the box of what they're doing. They, 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 they want to play it safe. With Star, he wasn't a safe type of dude. He was a dude that I'd take a chance. So with me learning that, with me, me seeing him doing that, it made me learn that that's what I needed to do and just give more of the music that wasn't out there. How did you learn? And this is a, a, a Kid Capri staple. And to me, I've seen other people rock parties and they're good at it. But nobody is as good as talking and scratching at the same fucking time as you are. How did you learn to do that, bro? Because I've been DJing since I was 13 years old. And I have been hired multiple times, and you know this, to... MC or host a party when you on the set. And I always tell the guy, look, Kid Capri don't need nobody else to be on the mic when he when he's on the party. He's going to do it himself. What happened was I went to BLS to get a job, WBLS in New York. My sister was working for Von Harp at the time. Mm -hmm. And they closed the door on my face. All right? So I had to figure out a way to get heard without having a radio station. So I said, you know what? I'm going to sell these mixtapes in the street, and that's going to be my radio station. I'm going to make people hear me that way. And with that, I got to be able to have something that's going to make them want to buy the tape. The tape was $20. Mm -hmm. People was walking to me, why would I buy yours? I don't even know who you are. Why would I buy your tape? It's way out. Right. But it had to be something that could captivate the people. So my voice was the first thing. And <clears throat> when I learned that, when I get on stage and I say things a certain way, it, it made people stop what they're doing to, to watch. So I knew that that was definitely an instrument for me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and with that, being slick with the mouth, saying certain things a certain way, your cadence is a certain way, dropping the music when right on time after you say something. I try to use when I talk as an instrument, not just to talk because there's a microphone in front of me. I use it as an instrument. And when I do that, it's it's like I'm using it to go within the music. So what happens is, to me, it's nothing hard, but for somebody that's watching it, it amazes them because you're doing two or three things at one time. Absolutely. Most DJs stop the music or pull the music down mm -hmm. when they're talking. These, these nowadays DJs, as I like to call it, they don't even really mix anymore. They're just hitting buttons, and they'll pull the music down, say something, and then hit the button for the next song or hit the button for the next cue point that they're using. You're able to scratch, cut, talk, get the crowd hyped up, say what you want to say at the same time your hands are moving, yeah, bro. Yeah. You're not stopping the flow of the music at all, mm -hmm. and I'm always amazed of, uh, at, at watching you do that. And it's amazing to me like how your hand-eye coordination is so amazing that you can do that and then you might play a half a minute of that record and then just hit the next record yeah because i feel like i feel like when you play too much of a long too much of a song it gets it gets boring especially in the party environment i think impact is what is what sets my parties apart from a lot of different things because i like the the wow factor i like i like i look at myself as if i was myself paying for a ticket watching myself and how I would want to feel if I was watching myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes me go as hard as I do and, and think about 
what is the the most you can do with DJ? Like with this DJ, what can you do that that you ain't already done already? And and what can you do that's gonna impress them that somebody else didn't impress them with? And that's where it comes from. When you know, I could be in pain, I could be hurt, I could be sick. I step on stage, I don't feel none of those things until I get off. Mm-hmm. It's like I go in a warp zone. So that's because it was embedded in me since I was eight. It's the same thing as a bro- as a man that shoots a basketball all his life. Right. You know, Curry been shooting all his life to where he could shoot from half court and it goes and he turns around and even look to see if it went in or not. Like, it, it's it's like a second nature to you, and that's what it's been to me all my life. And when I get in front of these crowds, the one thing I know is I never like to look, I never want to make myself look bad. So I try to give them the best I can give them. And you absolutely do that. Let's switch gears for a moment and talk about you as a producer. When did you first start producing? Um, A long time ago. Well, production never been my bread and butter, right? But when Biz gave me my first album deal, Biz had gave me, uh, got me a deal on Warner Brothers with Cold Chillin' okay. because I got hot with the mixtapes in the street. And what year was that? That was 91. Okay. Um, I didn't even want no album. I wasn't even thinking about no album. I would say little rhymes on my mixtapes and stuff, and, you know, they wanted me to write in the studio, and I did all the beats on there, and, you know, you put the album out. And um, your question, I forgot what question was. You know, I, I was when did you first oh, start producing? Okay, sorry. So, so... Then, you know, me and Kuvi got in the studio, you know, making the beats and stuff like that. I got influenced with like that. But I never was, it never been my bread and butter. So then when I did the Jay-Z record, when I did the uh, Heavy D record. Which but Heavy lo- D record? Nothing But Love. I, I produced Nothing But okay. Love. Okay. Yeah. When I, I, matter of fact, I wrote half of that too, as a matter of fact. Uh, great record. Yeah, great record. Rest in peace to Heavy D. Yeah, when I did See, that. See, a lot of people, y'all didn't know that. Y'all did not know that Kid Capri produced and helped write Nothing But Love for you. One Absolutely. of my favorite Heavy D records, too. Absolutely. And when I did that, that gave me the influence to want to do it. But even with then, I was so I was so hot with the DJ and there's so much moving around so much, I just never got a chance to really sit down and get the production going. I would do records here and there, whatever. Then I did the record with Jay-Z and won the Grammy. So when I, that happened, then I got called from Madonna, did her record. When I got that call, Okay, but like, well, you okay. see, Kid Capri, you are moving so fast right now <laughs> that you're assuming that people out there listening to this show knows exactly what records. Now, you did Heavy D record, Nothing But Love for you. What was that Heavy sample? Heavy D, Nothing But Love, that was the end game sample. That was the bam, 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 right. M games. Then I did It's Like That. Um, on well, I gave Jay Z Hard Knock Life, right? How did that come about? Forty Five King produced Hard Knock Life. Shout out to Mark the Forty Five King, somebody else that I can't wait to sit down Love with brother. and have on on here because he did records for me on me and uh, Dre's album. I've been friends with him forever. Love that brother. Talk to him every day. Yeah. Um, he produced Hard Knock Life and gave it to me, and I was going to use it for my last album, Soundtrack to the Streets. Is I'm this before, or after at the Apollo? This is after the Apollo. Okay. Right. Um. But this Look was, that up too, y'all. Kick Capri had a hot ass record called the Apollo. I love that record. But go ahead. And this was when we was on the Puff Daddy tour, the first Bad Boy tour. Mm-hmm. And I would play the play the Hard Knock Life plate that he gave me in the stadium to see how people would react to the beat. And people would walk up to me, yo, kid, how'd you get the drums behind Annie? And you know, ask me a bunch of questions about it. So I knew it was it was good. And then the, the fourth show, Jay Z ran up and asked me, what was that? I said, yeah, 45 King. But I said, you like it? He said, yeah. I said, I put him on the phone with Mark. Two weeks later, it was, it was, you know, I gave it to him. Two weeks later, biggest record of his career right. came out. And um, it just soared. And, and then I did, it's like, it's like that record on my album with him and let him license it on that Hard Knock Life album. And it went five times platinum. So wow. I won the Grammy you, for that. Were you able to retain all your publishing? Yes. 
Beautiful. <laughs> and you won a Grammy? Yeah, I won a Grammy, yeah. How how did you, what, was it a single Grammy? What was it, an album? It was, a, it was a, being a producer on the album. Mm -hmm. If the album goes, if the album wins the Grammy, everybody, all the producers on the album win the Grammy. Wow. Yeah, so I won a Grammy. So you got your individual Grammy? Yeah. Beautiful. Yep, yep. That's nice. Where you keep your Grammy, bro? Right in my studio. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That that was a great record too, man. And, and, and good. And, and and thankful enough. Twenty Folks, something go years back later. and find that record. A million did it again, nigga. A lot of people, a lot of speculations about the money I made. Right, honey's I slayed. That's Kid Capri's production. All right. And, and fortunately, fortunately, later on, I got on the Kendrick Lamar album, which sold seven platinum. Wow. Seven Grammys. So I'm waiting for my 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 my, my piece now, but I'm on that album. And it just shows that, you know, all these years I never had a downtime. I never always kept going, kept moving, no matter how many things might have changed, no matter how much the generation might have changed, no matter how much the technology ever came in, no matter who did what. I always stayed able to sustain what I've been doing and still doing. And the big bang is on its way. There's so much more that's coming. Mm -hmm. But Right now, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing now. How were you able to make the switch? Because early, I wouldn't say early in your career. I would say at for a while in your career, we used to watch you pile records up mm -hmm. and switch records, blap, 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 blap. Mm -hmm. We all, as DJs, carried around crates and crates and mm -hmm. crates and then anvil cases when we travel mm -hmm. full of records. Were you resistant to Serato? Absolutely. Jazzy Jeff called me one day and said, yo, kid, Got to get on Serato. <laughs> and, and we was doing... Um, Shout out to DJ Cut. Yeah. He was also super resistant to Serato. Real DJs use wax. Yeah. <laughs> we were doing um, we were doing Def Comedy Jam, uh -huh. right? The, the, the new Def Comedy Jam was coming around, and Russell didn't want to pay for the Def Jam records, the publishing of the Def Jam records. You would think that it was they were under Def Jam, you could use them, but it wasn't like that. We it was, was it Columbia them. at what? the time? I think it was Columbia owning Def Jam at the theme. I think that's after he had sold Def Jam away. So he okay. didn't, yeah, he didn't control it anymore. So they asked me to produce the, the music on Def Comedy Jam for the next three seasons. But that's right. what I did. And, and at that time, I had to play them. So how how you playing? You had to put them in the Serato. So when Jeff had called me, he said, yo, put them in. I put them in. And then I started putting the break beats in and putting the reggae records in. Putting the next thing you know, I had everything in and, and I was on Serato. But my whole thing was I used to take 15 crates of records around the country. I'm the first dude in hip hop to own two tour buses. I bought two of them, and not rent them, own them, and that was because I was carrying these fifteen crates of records around the country, paying two thousand dollars every time I took a trip. So I summer buy the buses, and put them on there. And I just like the way my production looked. You see me on stage, I got fifteen crates. I'm running to each one, catching things at the last minute. It amazed people. So I thought when I did the Serato, it was going to take that 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 look away from it. Right. And it didn't. It, it just got me even better. So, um. Yeah, it's, it's definitely dope. I don't use all the trickery that comes with it that everybody may use, but it, it definitely, I could do three shows in one day. Right. As opposed to doing one with 15 crates. Did you, you ever go to the to the uh, CDJs? Did you ever move over? Nah. Because nah. you know Biz was on that hard. Yeah, a lot of DJs that, that I know that grew up on turntables went to CDJs because of the convenience of it. But yeah. me, Jazzy Jeff, Scratch, we stay on these. So DJ Jazzy Jeff, who was, of course, Jazzy Jeff from the Fresh Prince, mm -hmm. convinced you to go to Serato. Absolutely. You weren't going to go other nope. than that. <laughs> nope. nope. What is it about the feel of vinyl that you like so much better than Serato? It's just, the, it's, you know, they have turntables now that don't have no, no, they don't have no arm. Uh-huh. The cue points on in there, you hit the button and the cue point come up. 
I'm a DJ that's been playing with these all my life. These these stood the test of time for what I've done. So if I don't have this, it's like I'm a fish out of water. I could use the other stuff, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? But with the CDJ, in my opinion, I just feel like you're more of a star if you're on these than you are pushing a button. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's it, it, nothing wrong with it. I'm not knocking it. But for me, for me, it just, I, I think people, when people see me, they want to see what you just said. Kid, I see you on time with you cutting this and doing this, all these different things. If I got all this help, that aviance is there no more. I'm not doing what you're known for me. I'm known for doing. I'm, I'm letting it help. It's doing it for me. Right. You feel what I'm saying? And I don't want to do that. I want to give people the best performance I can give them. Well, part of the problem with you and Serato when it first came out was the fact they used to crash a lot. Yeah, that was a lot. Thing. And most DJs had to keep a side turntable. Absolutely. Just in case that Serato crashed. I remember, uh, rest in peace, Carl Blaze. You remember Carl Blaze? Absolutely. Carl Blaze had switched over to Serato when we was doing Babaloo's in New York, which I did on Power 105 every uh, Saturday night. And sometimes that Serato would just go down. Let me tell you what happened to me. And I would have to talk until I, we can get it back running. I just <laughs> did Cleve. I just did um Charlotte New Year's Eve, and I did Montreal, Canada, the next day, New Year's Day. Me and Woo Kid, and it was the Haitian Independence Day, so it was about six thousand people in there, six thousand Haitians in there, just going crazy. Okay. Now I'm on stage, twenty about maybe forty five minutes. I'm on stage, and then the computer just stopped. What happened was the hard drive, I played from the hard drive. The hard drive was on top of the speaker, and the speaker was shaking, so it knocked the directories of the hard drive out. But oh, wow. the, the amazing part of it was how much the, the people in Montreal just had my back. Like, that never happened to me before, but when mm-hmm. something like that happens, usually people start booing. Right. People start going crazy. None of that happened. They, they were so happy to just have me there. And then I, I played out my man's computer, and the night went on. But these things that happen as a DJ or anybody, you have to be prepared to be able to cover it, be able to, you know, make it to where it, you don't look bad because these are, it is technology. Yeah. It's not records. It's something that could go down and it's just like that. What do you do when it goes down? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You have to be that much talented to let the people stay in interest. Absolutely. So. You were close to Big L. Yep. Tell me about L. L was cool, man. I used to tell L all the time, yo, L, stay off 139th. Like, mm. stay out of the street. Like, you a dude that people know now. You know what I'm saying? So... You know, you got your people, you see your people when you see them, but to be accessible all the time, you know, they can get at you. Like, more like, cool. like he was just a people person, loved his, he loved his hood, and just wanted to be out. And unfortunately, the way the story went, you know, was the problems that his brother was having with people, and they couldn't get to his brother while he was in jail, and mm-hmm. he got out, or they got to L, and then when they, he got out, they got to him the following day or something, the next day they killed him or something like that. Yeah. So his brother had a lot of issues in the street. And, you know, it was, for, it was fortunate that somebody like Big, Big L had to take the, the brunt of it, but this is how the street play. Tell me what you think of Big L, where he falls in your mind as an MC. One of the dude, I think he would have been one of the greatest dudes coming. When you have Jay-Z, one of the top dudes paying attention to you, and when to sign you, mm. you know, you know you you're you're there. You know what I'm saying? And and he was about to be that. And he didn't get a chance. He didn't get a chance to see that. Just like Biggie didn't get a chance to see his second album. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's unfortunate. But L, Big L, cool dude, man. The coolest come out. Always has something positive, say, see good and everything. You know what I'm saying? Just a nice guy, man. I used to drive down there just to pick him up, just hang out, run around. Do our thing, and that was it. And when I heard that, man, it just messed me up. Yeah, yeah. yeah you see, you, you've seen a whole lot in your career so far. I've seen so much, man. You know, More than people could imagine. 
Yeah, be, being an icon, man, is sometimes it's tough being a survivor because you see so many people go, you know, from mm-hmm. Pac to Big, all the way going, all the way back to MC Trouble and, mm-hmm. and Left Eye. And it's just, it goes on and on and on. And it's, sometimes it's just hard to keep your head up, man. Yeah, it and is. To stay positive. How many shows would you say you do a year? 150 to 200 every year since 1991. Do so you turn down stuff? Yeah. yeah. Really? I don't take everything. Well, because you're a dad, right? You, I mean, you're a father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, at one time, I was doing six six shows a week. Wow. And then um, I calmed it down to just the weekend or maybe Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, or maybe just Friday and Saturday. I calmed it down. But at one time, I was doing six, seven shows a week on nine different airplanes and stuff like that. Because you got to remember, when I got hot, the DJ wasn't a big deal at that time. The DJ was looked at as somebody just played records. And I didn't want to be looked at like that. I wanted to be looked at as when you put me on stage with your biggest platinum artist, I'm going to give him a hard time on that stage. He ain't going to want to come on after me. That's how I looked at it. Right. And that's what made me propel, propel to where I propelled to with the DJ business, to where now it's a business. It's not the DJ behind the group. You know what I'm saying? You you know, you know you got paid because you're behind the group. Now you could be the one-man band getting the same amount of money that that artist is getting. You could fill the same room, the same amount of people, and, and get treated the same way an artist is getting treated. That was my goal, that, to be looked at as an artist. Don't look at me as somebody just playing records. And people had that issue. People had that conception that that's what we were for years. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so, fortunately, when I got on Def Comedy Jam, people that didn't care about a DJ got a chance to see me for five split seconds in their living room. And that five split seconds was so powerful for them because they never really looked at a DJ like that. But here I am my own my own section doing what I'm doing. Then I come to your city and do the concert, and you get a chance to see the concert, and you really get a chance to see 20 minutes of me bussing this building, cracking this building over. Right. You never witnessed nothing like that from a DJ. How important was Def Comedy Jam to you? Tell me how Russell got you to do Def Comedy Jam. There was a million DJs. Yeah. could have got, got somebody Lovebug. else. Lovebug was his man. Right. Lovebug came with him up in the fever. Right. Right. He could have got Lovebug. Right. What it was is that I made a mark in the DJ business that nobody was making. And I took what they were doing early on and made it my way into the new generation. I took from the old generation and made it new. And that's what impressed Russell because Russell came from the fever. He came from Pepper and Salt, 371, these clubs that was the edgy people. Mm-hmm. Killers and sh- was walking through these clubs. Like, right. you know, when I was in the SNS, same thing. It was killers and drug dealers and real, you know what I'm saying? It was real. Real you know, shit. But these are the ones that bought the mixtapes. These are the ones that said, yes, kid, you the one. So Those are the ones giving you the 250, world. 500 just to drop their name in a mixtape, right? Yeah, exactly. Shout so, their hood out and yeah, all of that. Exactly. So they the ones that 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 did it. So when Russell, I was doing a party for LL Cool J's after show at the Garden. I was doing a Demerara. I don't know if you remember Demerara. Of course, Demerara. <laughs> doing Demerara. Russell walked in, see the crowd going crazy. He said, yo, kid, what you think about doing a comedy show, you know, on HBO. And at first, I'm like, comedy show, kick a DJ, what that got to do? But I'm like, this is Russell's HBO. Stop talking, shut up, we're going to do it. <laughs> Went and did it, man. My whole life changed. My whole life just changed. Did that really spread you out around the world? My whole life. It changed my whole life. It changed my whole life. I was, I was here when I got on Def Comedy Jam. It just, and how I knew was when we did the first concert. We did the first concert, and I'm behind the, behind the curtain. And when the curtain raised, we had about maybe eight, 9,000 people. And then when the curtain raised, the people were screaming like I was Michael Jackson. Wow. And I'm standing there. 
I, you know, I've never been nervous on stage a day in my life. I'm standing there looking at this. Yeah, I'm, I ain't know what to do. I did my thing. But at first, I mean, it took a long time for me to start. Because right. I'm looking at these people. I'm like, they're going, they're doing this for me mm-hmm. or for the show. And it went like that every single night. Because your show. name became synonymous with Def Comedy Jam. Yeah, it did. It, it was did. like Def Comedy Jam. It was like, okay, we know Martin Lawrence, but that's Kid Capri. I've had people come to me and say, kid, I don't even care about the comedians. I just wanted to see the little five minutes you was at the end of the show when they had the credits going up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. But, it, that's, but that's what it was. And most of all, it was dope. The whole show was dope. Com- comedians, me, Russell, Martin, all that was dope. But what made that whole show was the crowd. When you seen the crowd going crazy in mm-hmm. there, it just made you want to be there. Yeah. You know, you know, it yeah was and I was at many a taping for Def Comedy Jam. Yeah, and then when they took it to L.A., I had the opportunity to host one of them, and uh, it was it was about the crowd. And But L.A. did not have the energy of New York. Yeah. It's nothing like York, that original New York Def Comedy Yeah, they were spelling out the laughter. H-A. H-A. <laughs> right. You told me about it. You don't even laugh. You just spell it out. H-A. It's the truth. Yeah. Because there is, it was a dip. When we went to L.A., I couldn't stand it. I hated it. I yeah. hated it. But everybody thinking they somebody. Right. People that came to New York came to laugh. Yeah. And, you know, I remember when the Wayans brothers did their little skit about how people would laugh at any fucking joke. The comedian would say, Good, hey, how y'all doing? And people were flipping that. over <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> but Def Comedy Jam was there for you to have a great fucking time and to witness the birth of some of the nation's greatest comedians that you didn't even know about. And imagine being on tour with Bernie Mac for three years straight. Wow. Waking up with this dude, going yeah. to sleep. This dude will have you laughing from the time he woke up. We'd be on a tour bus. We will go from state to state. He'll have you laughing the whole time. Then go, get on stage, host the show, kill the show, get off stage, get back on the bus, have you laugh until you go to sleep. <laughs> and then he's bothering the bus driver, having him laugh until he got to pull over. <sighs> it was just a natural, yes, just sir. a natural remember I did. Guy. Remember I did Who's the Man with Bernie Mac, and mm-hmm. it was the same way every fucking day on set. And, be, and being that and you just said that, I was the first one in Who's the Man to be noticed because I was right. the first one talking that's on the radio right. station that's when the right. movie came That's on. right. First that's thing that right. happened was Kate Capri. That's right. Let me, let me ask you a question, Kate Capri. Yeah. With all of the accolades that you've had, mm-hmm. greatest mixtapes floating around New York, I mean, props to Ron G, everybody that came around the same time you came, but nobody was able. Shout out to Clue. You know, Clue was getting exclusive then, but it was a different aesthetic with the mixtape. For Clue, it was about, I got this record from Jay or Puff or something that you've never heard. From you, it was like, I'm going to rock you from the beginning of this mixtape. No matter what I play. No matter what I play all the way through. I don't need the exclusive. I don't care. This shit's going to be fire, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. From all of that, why do you think you were never snatched up by a New York radio station and given the showcase that you deserve? Well... One is, well, I was on BLS twice, but the only reason why I went to BLS is because BLS let me do what I wanted to do. I'm not going to a radio station where a program director that don't even come from my city is going to tell me how to be kick and pray. Mm. That's not going to happen. Right. I built up a certain kind of thing where DJs follow me and follow what I've done to make a career for themselves. So I'm going to have somebody dictate to me how to do what I do when I know how I do what I do. When Sirius came... It was because they seen what I was doing on the net. I would do this show called the Block Party Live Mixtape, and then I created a show for the women called No Panty Sundays, where I would play slow music for the women, but it was the way I did it. Mm-hmm. And Sirius seen us, and they said, kid, we, we get it. Do whatever you want to do. We just need you to do this four-hour thing. After that, do whatever you want. And when they said that, 
that's when I said, okay, they let me do what I got to do, not somebody dictating to me what I got to do. Some program then, director breathing down your neck, telling yeah. you, you must play this record, yeah. you must play Yo, that they, record. They, in, in New York, you know, the, the mix shows was programmed now. Yeah. That's crazy to me. That's just don't, that's, that's insane. That's taken away from what the DJ really is. What's special in everybody having to do the same thing? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't see, and why would I want to be a part of doing that when I can do whatever I want, when I want, how I want, anywhere? And with the net going on right now, you definitely don't have to be on a radio station. You know, the radio was dope. Of course, we're not taking away from the radio. Of course, we need the radio. Of course. But you don't need the radio to become a star. You don't need the radio to play your record because you have the internet to play your record. You're absolutely right. You know, so these different things where the DJs might have had a certain kind of power at one time, it was taken away from them because of that, because of that. But then when you have a program director coming and saying, yo, you can't be Ed Lover, you got to be what I say be. Right. Yeah, what's the sense of you being there? That's right. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely right. Speaking of the radio, earlier in 2018, you had a very public spat with one Funkmaster Flex. How did that happen, and where did that come from? Um... Flex, I mean, let me this for the record. Me and Flex is cool. Okay. okay. Always been cool. But like I've been the top dog forever. So when you that, I'm not saying in a braggadocious way, it's just the way it has been. When you're that, you get a certain amount of competition that people feel that they gotta give you. And even if it ain't direct, even if it ain't a thing where they saying it, it's certain things that they might do that they don't even think you may notice. But I see everything. But being a professional, you don't let those things become an issue. But when certain things build up for a certain amount of years, you know, it stays stored wherever it's at. And then when something happens, you know, that's 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 the entry for it to, to start. In me and Flex's case, I said something, something came to me. I asked him about it, and he wasn't humble about it. He came at me in a certain kind of way, even though we cool, and he did it two times in the same setting. So with him doing that, now I wanted to smoke with him and told him, let's keep a DJ. Right, I, I remember there, you saying that. Keep a DJ, you know, let's battle $100,000, let's battle for the name, whatever you want to battle for. Let's do it, let's do it. You talking like that? Cool. Let's, you you the best of the city? Show me you the best of the city. Did that, did that Did that poke you the wrong way for him saying he's the best in the city? Absolutely, because you got to remember, you got your style pretty much, he got a style, a lot of his style came from what I did with the mixtape. Right. The talking on the mic and different things I did, like, you know, but forget me. When you say I'm the best from this city, you should you 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 shitting on Red Alert. Yes. You should you know it, it's so Brucey many. B. Brucey, it's so many. It's a yeah. whole line. Yeah. And and, and 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 these are people I respect. Like these are yo, know, I respect these people. No matter how much I may feel I may be better than this one or that one, it doesn't matter. It's a matter of are we working? Everybody's doing good? We all right? We eating, family's good, healthy. That's what matters. So when you get up there and you say, I'm the best of the city, or nobody can do it like me, or whoop, whoop, whoop. People been calling me the world's greatest DJ for years because that's what the people call me. I didn't make myself that title. People right. said that. And when they say that, that's when it counts, not when you say it. You see what I'm saying? So when you say, I'm the best from this city, I'm the greatest, you shouldn't know everybody else. And that's how I felt. So when he said, when the little thing happened with us, I kept it DJ. He got personal. He put up there, he said, I fell off. You telling your, your fans on your radio station, I fell off? Really? Now I'm going to show you everything. You're going to see everything. Because I don't brag. I don't show everything. Right. Now I'm going to show you everything so you can see you're going to have to eat your words now. And then I went on The Breakfast Club. When I went on The Breakfast Club, 
people expecting me to go up there, go killing them and going crazy on them. And that's not what I was going to do. I was going to be a gentleman. Like mm-hmm. I am. You know what I'm saying? I went there and I explained the facts and rebuttal what he said. And just to put in the minds of them, let them know, nobody fell off none. Just because you don't see them on the radio station getting on everybody's nerves every day, I'm, I fell off? Nah. It's a big world out here with a lot of people in it. And I'm out there doing it. Why don't people understand? People got this thing with them is out of sight, out of mind. Do you know how many times I'm in the airport mm-hmm. and somebody says, so what you doing now? Right. Like, your like, life just ended. Like, it's a big world. It's a big world, and there's <laughs> a lot of money to be gotten in right. this gigantic world. Right. And I think if we thought more globally... You'll get further. You'll get a lot you further. You won't be stuck. And that's what I've been doing. I, I wasn't... Had I been on a New York radio station, I might just have been in New York. I wouldn't have been the global dude that I am. I would right. have just been there, and that would have been that. Me deciding not to take the radio job and going on the road and doing what I did was my biggest thing because now... I accumulated, I accumulated all these fans around the world. So now, what we're doing is uh, Omar and us from out here. We, we we're setting up the Kick It Pre Tour, right? Which I should have been did a long time ago. Every tour I get on, you know, I just got off the RBRM tour. Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike. Right. And I brought my daughter Vina Love out on a few dates to do. And you know, people were saying, "Kid, you could do your own tour. You could bring artists out of your own tour to kick a pre mixtape." So we're doing that right now. We're putting that together. It's going to be really, really big, and um, we're going to have artists from all over the country that's going to be in it. People, if you live in Houston, we're going to have Bun B. We're going to have, yes. you know, what I'm saying you yes. live in Chicago, we have all the Chicago artists, right. and that's how we're going to do it. Cut the costs and also give the people what they want for their stuff because you may bring artists from somewhere else that people might not like. They want to see their own artists. That's right. And that's how we do it. Yeah, that that makes a whole lot of sense. And Mm -hmm. that's very similar to what we get ready to do with this um, Your MTV Raps Experience Legacy in Vegas. Dope. Yeah. That Your MTV Rap show was incredible. Wasn't that a good time? And brother, you tore that shit (laughs) down. You know how many people have come to me? First of all, Kate Capri, did you know 880,000 people watching on stream? I did not know that. On live stream, 880,000. And... People have been saying that is the best rap concert they've ever seen. And they're like, we had 30 acts on that concert. Let me tell you what. The Four ch- hours. I'm going to tell you what was so crazy when KRS did the last of it. Yes. It was like the cel- the perfect yes. artist for the yes. perfect celebration. Yes, yes. It was crazy. Yes, man. that was that was amazing to me. I turned around and I said, Kenny Parker, are you ready? Yeah. And he said, yes. And I said, <laughs> are you ready, sir? And KRS-One said, yeah. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, the mighty, mighty, mighty KRS-One. And Kenny hit that boom, boom, bat, bat, boom, bat, boom, 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 boom. And that whole crowd, right? Oh, my God. The Barclays Center was jumping like 1993 with Naughty by Nature doing OPP. And I've been in so many situations with KRS-One. I was there when PM Dawn got thrown off stage. I was there when we did... Uh, Yankee Stadium when Nelson Mandela came out. Wow. They, they threw the celebration from Yankee Stadium. I did the show with him there. The PM Dawn show. He was at the hospital when my daughter was being born. I was on stage in Tampa. He was there with the video camera about wow. the my daughter coming out. Like, he's my he's my daughter's grand, uh, godfather. So, with KRS, I've been with him so many different things. I watched him tear shit down everywhere. Like, it's one of the amazing. highlights of my entire career, and I've had several, but one of the highlights of my entire career, I was in SOBs in New York, and I went to see Chris perform. Yeah. And after Chris performs, Chris freestyles. Yep. And I forgot who, oh, oh uh, Smith & Wesson was there. They jumped up, and I'm walking across the stage, and he looks and he goes, Ed Lover, 
Ed Lover freestyles. Come in, man. <laughs> and for me to That's even him. be able to stand on that stage uh-huh. and freestyle with KRS-One, bro, after that, Charles, I could die right now. I'm good, bro. Yo. I'm good. I've played DMC for Run when Run came out on the college tour, and I did songs with Run where I did DMC's part. Wow. I had Chuck D come out to shows when we were doing the Young TV Raps College show, and I've played Flavor Flav. Right. And I've done those three things. That's major shit. Yeah, no doubt. Those are the iconic motherfuckers we talking about. Absolutely. And for me to be able to rhyme on stage with KRS-One, bro, I was like, I'm... I, I am so good. What place have you played that you didn't really think maybe around the world that they knew who Kid Capri was and you just, it was just amazing to you? Oh, man, so many places. But one place, particularly when I went to Japan, I went to Japan five times. Wow. Um, The last time I went to Japan, I did the whole Japan. They took me everywhere. I did every, felt like I did every damn venue. But um, when I first went to Japan, the, first, the very first time, I didn't know how people was going to receive me. I'm, I'm known out here. So the first show we did, it was this place called Eros. And I had these black glasses. I never wore glasses before. I had these black glasses. And I put these black glasses on and I went and did the party. It was kind of like almost like a feeling of security, I guess. If I don't do good, at least I got some black glasses. <laughs> right? So the next night I had a show in the same place. And I came in, get on stage, and everybody had black glasses on. Wow. The whole audience had black glasses on. I, I had a glass, I had confidence that day. The next day, I came in and the whole audience was black glasses. It was amazing. So that's when I knew that, damn, I really did something out here. When I came back, I didn't like the food in Japan. So when I came back, I had shipped me a big box of food out to Japan and had all kinds of stuff in there. And I had a tour bus out there. They got me a tour bus. So I would go around different places and do shows and do my stuff. And just seeing how the people, man, you know, when we grew when we grew up, when we were growing up, people would make fun of Chinese people, you know, do all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. There will never be a day I would make fun of anybody Chinese or Japanese or anything like that. They are so respectful. They treat you like a king. And you come to their country, you are taken care of from the head to the toe. Better than you are in the United States of America. They appreciate our hip hop way more than we do. Mm-hmm. They know stuff about me. I didn't even know about myself. Like, they had pictures and magazines and T-shirts with my faces. It was crazy. When I went to Africa, when I did Africa and Kenya, we were driving, and all the billboards, big billboards of me out there. I didn't I didn't think I was. Did that make you pinch yourself, bro? Yes, every day. You're a little dude myself. from the Bronx, right. New York, bro. Kingsbridge Terrace. Or Kingsbridge Terrace. With this no, shit with a mixer not... with no headphones. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right? Right. And that's what and it amazes me every time. Every time I'm on a stage and I see this big crowd in front of me, I know they ain't gotta be there. They could go anywhere they want and spend their money with whoever they want to, and they do it for me. So my thing is, people got to get dressed. They got to drive there. They got to get a ride there if they got one. They got to pay for gas. They got to pay to get in. They got to buy drinks once they get in. They meet somebody, buy a drink, and they all doing that because Kick Capri is in the building. So how do you not give them the, the best you can give them? A lot of artists, they feel like we're doing them a favor. Because they're hot, they're making money, they're doing good. Right. But it's the other way around. Right. When the lights they're doing you a out, favor. You got one yeah. job. All right? People pay their money to come see you. Your job is to give them the best that you can give them. That's all you can do is give 
your very best. And it's an honor and a privilege. It's been how many years for you, kid? Since 1970. I started DJ in 1976. Okay. That's a I long time. Known, I got known in 88. Okay. I got known in 89. You're on TV Rap. So it's our 30-year anniversary, 31 years for you from when you were known. Not when you started, because known. we both put the work in before we became Absolutely. known. Absolutely. All right, so when we became known, you got to think, 30 years later, if I'm walking through the airport and somebody goes, hey, Ed Lover, can you take a that's picture? That's amazing. I'll stop and take the picture. Yo, Ed, that's amazing. Just sitting there singing that and knowing that, that you walk in and people know who you are, respect you, love what you do, and tell you that you changed my life. There's people that walk up to me, your kid. You're the reason why I'm not robbing somebody today. That's right. You're the reason I started DJing. <laughs> You're the reason why I'm not robbing somebody, going to somebody's window. I was able to watch what you do and take care of my family by watching you. Right. That's a feeling that's more than money. You don't, You know what I'm saying? You know that you changed somebody's life without even knowing you did it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Now, imagine it. All the other people that you don't know that you did this for. It, 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 it's just a, It's bigger. It's, it's something bigger than what we... We're small. I always say we're a small speck of people that's able to enjoy this lifestyle where there's a whole world that wish they could be in this. That's why there's kids that's on behind the computer that, you know, they live through us. They right. see what's going on in the computer. They live through us. And, 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 and that's why we got to set that example. Of course, we got, there's bad things going to happen, you know, negative things. But we got to set the example of why we do what we do. We do this because we love it. It takes care of our family. I ain't had a boss in 35 years. I ain't had a boss to tell me what to do in 35 years. That's wow. a blessing. That is a super blessing. And, and you know what? And it's also, man, it, and it's also an testament to the kind of person you are. Our birthdays are very, very close together. Absolutely. You're an Aquarian. Aquarius. I'm an Aquarian. Yes, sir. And our birthdays are very close together. And we're not confrontational people. We're not braggadocious people. We're very humble people. We love people. That's yep. why we do what we do. Yep. Until you push us against that wall. Exactly. No question about it. You know that. what I mean? Yep. And then we got to show you, like, look, dude, you know, I don't give a fuck how much money you got. Right. I don't give a fuck what your status is. You're going to respect me as a man. Absolutely. I walk in as a man. I'm walking out as a man. Absolutely. You're not going to talk to me sideways. You're not going to say slick shit to me and thinking I'm not going to catch it because I've paved my path. I've done this. Mm -hmm. You've been doing it <laughs> longer than I have. We've crossed paths a million times. We both know what it is out here in this business, and we've done it, and it feels good. My greatest gift that I get is when I walk into an AT&T store and an African kid that's 30 years old tells me he, I learned to speak English watching you on TV. That's right? crazy. That's <laughs> And it's that the makes, truth. That makes everything to me. It's the truth, though. MTV Vaps and Def Comedy Jam and all these big oh, things. Oh, absolutely. So big, and it, it, changed, it changed so many lives, man. It, it really did. Like, you don't really know as you're doing it, but you get older, you look back and you see yeah. what's done. It, it really mean it means a lot. And, and when it comes to our legacy, these are things that we have that we could be proud of to say, you know, that we done. And, and, and more importantly, is what we do today to keep it going, right? You know, because legacy is legacy, but you still got to keep moving. That's still right. Do what you still got to reach back and bring up the next person. Exactly. Each one, teach one. Somebody, yeah. somebody opened the door for me. I got to open the door for somebody. Absolutely. Else. Yeah. And that's the blessing. That's yeah. the blessing right there. What haven't you done? You want to do? Uh, have you played for Obama? I'll tell you what I have. Nah, I, I didn't get a chance to do that. Okay. He knows who I am, though. That's, that's good enough for me. Yeah, exactly. Me. But what yeah. I haven't done, um, to tell you the truth, there really isn't much that I haven't done except for make a platinum album. Okay. I made a classic album. Yes. You know, made two classic albums, but they didn't reach the goal that I wanted them to reach as far as the company doing what they're supposed to do. 
even though the album was good. Timing, everything is timing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying it was bad timing, but other than that, I have no complaints about nothing, man. I did so much, still doing so much. I got so much coming up, you know, creating opportunities for other people. I started my foundation, the Give Give a Kid Foundation, where I take care of kids across the nation, you know, and and do stuff like that, and, and, and so many other things that we're doing. You know, I don't have no complaints about anything, man. My health is in a one condition. Just did a blood test. Everything is beautiful, so I have no complaints about nothing. And you still enjoy rocking them crowds all around the world. Just walking in and seeing them there. I would like, you know what, I would, it it warms my heart to know that I am talking to, because, you know, I wasn't in New York. I didn't get a chance to go to the groundbreaking ceremony for the Hip Hop Museum Mm -hmm. that they're absolutely building. It's going to happen now. Mm -hmm. And it feels good to know that I'm sitting right next to another first ballot fucking Hall of Fame. There's no no way that they can build that (laughs) Hip Hop Museum and you and I are not in it. They put me in um, the one in Philly. I'm in the one in Philly. And I think there's another uh, one in Philly, and I think there's one in Ohio. Uh-huh. I think there's one in Ohio. Uh, it, it, you in know Ohio. what's the only thing I think is left? It's time for us to get our stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Now that, now that I right want there. My I think star. I, I, think I, I think I deserve I it. I think we deserve that. Hell yeah. I think we deserve Just for the time alone that we put in all these years, I yeah. think, and, and all the stuff that we did, I think we deserve that. They just gave Snoop his. Yes, he deserves it. He deserves it. Yeah. Uh, LL got one? L.O. got his. Got his. We got to get L. in the Hall of Fame. That's what he needs to be Hall of Fame needs to. That's what he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't even know how he wasn't nominated for that yet. Yeah, and a lot of people got on me. and I don't know why. If you say one thing, you know, I love Pac. And you know Pac was my guy. You used to see Pac with me and Stretch all the time. No doubt. And this was not a knock on Pac when I said I felt like L.L. should have been the first single solo male artist in the Rock and Roll Hall Absolutely. Of Fame. No I didn't question. say Pac didn't deserve to go in there. No. I just don't think Pac deserved to be in there before LL. No, nah, LL, LL was the dude. You got to remember, see, you got, people don't know the history of a lot of things, though. LL was the first artist on Def Jam. Very first artist Very on Def first. Jam. He's the one that built Def Jam from the beginning. Well, it was Russell, of course, but he was the first artist on there. And then from there, He was there consistent. before, before uh, Russell. He was there with Rick Rubin. Oh, he was it. there with Rick Rubin yes, and Jay. That's right. right. Remember, T-Lo Rock the, and Jazzy Jazz. That's right. It's Yours was the first record to come out. That's right. But on they the white only label. did that one deal, that only one record deal with T-Lo Rock and Jazzy Jeff. Right. Jazzy J, excuse me. LL was the first one signed to Rick Rubin and Def Jam. Russell wasn't even there yet. That's crazy. <laughs> forgot about there. that. Russ, Rick, what you're seeing now in with Drake is LL all over again. All over LL again. LL is the first male solo sex superstar, symbol, superstar and sex symbol. Yep, yep, in hip-hop. In hip-hop. Yep. There and was all of these groups. There was all of this. And I asked Ron, because Ron and I did a commercial together for uh, the Beats uh, music a couple of years ago. And I asked Ron, during your time, it was two questions. The first question was, when you knew that KRS one was saying kings uh, get crowns and teachers stay intelligent, talking silly stuff on the mic is not irrelevant, especially when you're not college material. You mm-hmm. knew that was a jab at you and DMC. Why didn't you answer? Run said, because I was doing stadiums and he was doing clubs. And if I answer, I'm bringing him up to my level. Plus, and Run said, plus the boy is nice on the mic. I ain't want that smart. <laughs> okay. He said that to me. And then when I asked him, who was your stiffest, stiffest competition ever in your career during your heyday? He said, LL Cool J. Absolutely. He said, we put out Peter Piper, and I thought I was smashing the fucking entire world with that song, and L comes with I Need Love. <laughs> I Need Love. 
The very first rap slow jam. Slow jam. The very that's another thing. He made the very first rap slow jam. LL deserves to be in the rock. He deserves that. And at some point, sometime down the line, and I don't know why it is still going on to this day, Kid Capri. We still, as hip hoppers, and in this viable music form that's been making billions of dollars all of these years, we still don't get the props that we deserve. We had the hip hop honors show. VH1 took that away. Uh-huh. When is the Kennedy stupid. Center going to honor a hip hop artist, man? I don't know, man. They gave running them a lifetime. Well, Grammy did they do award. Nas? They had Nas come and perform. Nas right? performed okay. with, in D.C. with an orchestra. But I'm talking about, you know, the way the Kennedy Honors put the medals on Bruce Springsteen right. and put the medals on on whoever, you know. Yeah. Hip-hop deserves that, yeah. man. I think what, what, keeps, what keeps, in my personal opinion, I think that the reason why what's, what, what, what the block is is the negative part of hip-hop. Mm. The negative part of hip-hop kind of covers a, they look at it as it covers the whole of hip hop. If you look at a Bruce Springsteen record or a type of artist like Bruce Springsteen, John, uh, John, John, you yeah. don't see no cusses. You don't see yeah, no, yeah. no threatening type of stuff. You don't right. see nothing negative. So they feel safe with that, especially with something as sacred or something as prestigious as the Kennedy Center. Right. So that I think that's what the problem is. They look at it as it being negative as a whole. They don't look at the positive part of it. They don't look at the jobs it's created, the opportunities it's created, and it's the biggest music out right now in the last 10 years. That's right. You know what I'm saying? That's so, right. But they're not going to look at it like that. They're going to look at it as it's just bad. Well, they absolutely should, man. And 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 I will be honored to be there when you get your Kennedy Center Awards honor because you deserve it, man. I would the love that. The world's greatest DJ, hands down, and my friend, Mr. K. Capri. Thank I you, my him. brother. Thank you for having me. And when me, I man. finish talking to you, I'm quite sure I'm going to go home and go, God damn, I meant to ask him about that. But we can save that for a part two. Well, I'm proud of you. Thank Coming you. out here to Chicago, making it your own, doing your thing, bringing the flavor over here, let them see what you do. They already know you. They love you. They already been they they This city has embraced me so well, man. And I'm, I'm so happy to be here and, and so happy to just be rocking here in Chicago, man. They treat me really good. I don't plan on going nowhere. It's my second home. Every time I come, they pack my joints. They yeah. show me love. It, it kind of reminds me of New York. It looks yeah. almost like New York. Yeah, you're they, absolutely right. For years, they've been showing me love since Def Comedy Jam all the way to now. I'm going to be at Promotory tonight. Yes, they sir. always pack it up out, out there for me. And so I will be there, bro. No doubt. It's going to go down. Absolutely. Kick Capri, man. Come on, son. Y'all know what I always say. Keep God first. Everything else will fall into place. I'll talk at you, with you, to you, and about your ass the next time, next Monday, right here on Come On, Son, the podcast, man. Don't forget you catch me on 104.3 Jams, or you'll catch some of this interview on 104.3 Jams uh, right here in Chicago, man. And for the rest of the world, I love you, man. Be well, man. Now, come on, son. Fuck out of here with that bullshit. <laughs> Later. Come on, son, son. This Ed Lover podcast is being done in conjunction with Cigars International. Make sure you check out CigarsInternational.com for all your cigar needs. This episode of Come On, Son, the podcast is produced and engineered by co-executive producers Krista Hayes and Kimana Paulus in downtown Chicago. This is an official Loudspeakers Network podcast. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.